You're tuned into the Tokyo Living Podcast, where we help you live a healthy and enjoyable life in one of the most amazing cities in the world. On this episode of the Injury Edition, Sam revisits the topic of ice for injuries, when we should and when we shouldn't be using this modality. Tokyo Living is proudly brought to you by Club 360, changing lives through health and fitness. Welcome back to the Tokyo Living Podcast Injury Edition. Nice to have you with us again. Um, Today we're going to be talking about ice and more specifically the use of ice uh, in the management of pain and injury. Now I did talk about this uh, I believe a couple of years ago on an Ask360 episode, uh, but I think that there is still some misunderstanding and some misconceptions uh, about the use of ice and I know just personally I've had uh, a couple of experiences in recent times where I've actually um, experienced my own injuries uh, in training and the people in that training environment, coaches and, um, and training partners been very quick to offer up the ice. Oh, can, can, we, can we eat you some ice? What happened? Oh, we'll get you some ice. No, it's fine. I don't need ice. I said, oh, no, it's fine. We've got ice. I was like, we don't need ice. Um, so I think it's something that needs to be addressed. And because it is such an easily accessible uh, modality, um, I think it, it's something that a lot of people will go to very quickly. And so, you know, the more people that are educated in um, some of the specifics about when we should and when we perhaps shouldn't use ice, uh, the better. Now, the use of ice from a historical perspective, I guess we can um, look at it in two different parts. One is from an evolutionary perspective and the other, I guess, from more of a scientific perspective. From an evolutionary perspective, um, to be honest, I haven't really um, looked too carefully into how um, people's perceptions of cold therapy in regards to pain, um, whether there's been carvings of people icing body parts in in ancient... uh, uh, caves and things around the world, to be honest, I'm not sure. But uh, my intuition tells me that for as long as humankind have been experiencing pain, uh, we've no doubt been using uh, things that uh, are very easy to access and you know, naturally make the pain feel better. And yeah, even animals, you know, obviously animals are able to experience pain and even we know that, that plant forms um, have nociceptive uh, capabilities, the ability to detect danger, even though they don't have the uh, cognition required to actually take that danger and produce pain. Um, again, I'm, I've not looked into um, uh, the animal's habits uh, around icing in regards to pain, but you know, should an animal um, uh, experience uh, pain, then you know it's quite possible that they would find a cold environment to expose that area of pain to. Obviously, animals with higher uh, cognitive processing. Um, so it makes sense that for uh, as long as we've been experiencing pain, you know, humans will have been using some cold to address that pain. From a scientific perspective, the the, the person that really popularised. Um, both ice, but also the whole sort of rice protocol, was an American doctor named Gabe Merkin. Um, And he wrote about this in 1978 when he proposed the the rice protocol, which is rest, ice, compression, and elevation. And since then, it's essentially been like a holy doctrine of acute injury management, that uh, as soon as you hurt something, you put some ice on it, uh, and that will decrease the inflammation and, and help with future healing. 
The uh, sort of RICE acronym has been, I guess, updated and progressed as we've gone along. Um, so we've added uh, a P at the start. So you have the protection before uh, the RICing and then also referral at the end. So for a certain amount of time, we were going through PRICER where we would protect RICE, protect, rest, ice, uh, compress, elevate, and, and then refer on. Um, and then, I guess, in uh, the middle of, uh, I guess, the, the 2000s, we had this change towards, or probably the middle of last uh, decade, we had this change towards uh, police as an acronym. So police stood for um, protection, optimal loading. And uh, again, if you've listened to uh, my podcast in the past, you'll know that I you know, load underpins everything that we do in musculoskeletal medicine. Um, again, if you haven't watched that episode, uh, go back and check that out. If you're on YouTube, you can click the link there and access that. Um, so optimal loading really is the crux of injury management. And even though most people think about uh, loading is something you do as part of a rehabilitation program. It is also important in the early stages of an injury. And even from the, uh, the moment that you uh, injure yourself, the, the, the loading uh, protocol starts then. Now, right at the, the time of uh, injury, it might be zero load, um, but the, the structure in which we add load to the injured body part to progress over time really needs to start from uh, the second that that injury occurs. So we've got protection, optimal loading, uh, and then we have ice compression and elevation. And that was sort of that the police uh, acronym stood for a certain amount of time. In the last couple of years, we've had a different acronym uh, proposed, uh, and that is uh, the peace and love acronym. Now, uh, the peace part stands for uh, protection, which is the same, um, elevation, and then the big one, the A, is avoidance of anti-inflammatories in the ice. And that's the one that everyone's, oh, gosh, we're supposed to avoid ice now and anti-inflammatories as well. Um, the rest of it, the, uh, the compression, and then we have education. And as we know, education is a critically important part of any sort of rehab process, um, both you know, understanding uh, the nature of the injury, guidance on how to progress our rehab, um, but also um, reassurance and, and education about what pain actually is and, uh, and, and, and you know, trying to normalise that, that painful experience so that we don't um, go into a, a catastrophizing and things like that. Um, the, the love part, we have load, which we've already talked about load before. Um, optimism, which I think is a great thing to include here. As always, you know, obviously with some injuries uh, are more serious than others and, uh, and, and may have a, um, a somewhat negative prognosis, but um, where possible, we're trying to always see um, the, the positive sign of an injury and, um, and, and try to stay as positive as possible. Uh, the V is vascularization, uh, so trying to do whatever cardiovascular modality we can um, within the limits of, um, of the pain and the injury to enhance that healing process. Um, and the, uh, the last part is exercise, uh, and that sort of yeah, encapsulates a lot of the different aspects of the rehab process, but obviously exercise is a critically important process. So um, we'll go back up to uh, close to the top where that A, avoidance of ice and anti-inflammatories. Club360 is Tokyo's premier health, fitness and rehabilitation centre, offering physiotherapy, osteopathy, personal training, group fitness classes, boxing, sports massage, pilates and nutrition consultations. With two full-time locations in Moto Azubu and Higashi Azubu, as well as satellite physiotherapy practices in Shibukoen and Yokohama, Club360 boasts a team of high-level practitioners from all over the world, ready to take care of your injury and fitness needs and guide you on a path towards a healthier and happier life. 
Come visit us at pop360.jp or follow us at pop360rupongi on Facebook and Instagram. Now back to the show. Now the thought that ice might not be the most optimal treatment option for acute injuries definitely isn't a new thing. Um, there was a book in 2013 by Gary Reinald called uh, Iced, the Illusionary Treatment Option. Now, you might be interested to know who wrote the forward for this book. It was in fact Gabe Merkin, the guy that 35 years earlier um, described ice as a critical part of acute injury management uh, and, and part of that, uh, that RICE um, acronym. And I think this is really good when this happens. It doesn't often happen, um, but when uh, researchers or clinicians or scientists um, go back on previous findings and previous opinions, and in particular, something like this that has had such a massive impact on the way that we manage injury and pain, for someone to look objectively at those previous findings and, and think actually now based on um, the experience that we've had and the evidence that's come out and our understanding of different, different mechanisms can then go back and say, you know, we were actually wrong about this um, is, a, is a really amazing thing and it takes a real, really humble um, uh, you know, person and someone that really cares about the appropriate application of science um, to, to actually do that. Um, the theory behind why it might not be an effective strategy, essentially when you're applying ice to a part of the body, it causes vasoconstriction, so decrease in the blood vessels around that area. And so it basically squeezes, it's like a hose where you're making the hose smaller and decreasing the amount of fluid that can get through there. Now. It, it does often decrease inflammation, right? and so that part of it uh, is still a, an accurate understanding. However, it decreases uh, some of the, the products that uh, and, and, the, and the chemicals and the proteins that, that um, respond to the inflammatory process in a positive way. So when we have an injury, we have this um, inflammatory cascade where um, you know, you know, different chemicals are sent to the area to basically try and clean up. It's almost like um, the, how the immune system reacts to foreign particles. It goes in there and tries to clean up that debris. Um, and then after that initial inflammatory process, um, once it starts uh, cleaning things up, it starts to try and try and mend and, uh, and, and rebuild that area. And so if we're uh, causing excessive vasoconstriction of the area, then we're decreasing the ability of the body to, to send that important stuff into the area to, to initiate that cleanup process uh, and then progress to the, the healing process. Alana Jade is a friendly bilingual salon located in Azubujuvan, Tokyo, where they provide a private and relaxing haven where guests come to escape the hustle and bustle of city life. Ilana Jade's wide range of deluxe beauty treatments of facials, nails, waxing, massage and eyelashes will have you looking your best from head to toe. Receive 20% off your first treatment by mentioning Tokyo Living Podcast when booking. So in general, with acute injuries, uh, we typically don't recommend ice anymore. Right? Now, there are some caveats, right? so it's not like we never use ice. Ice is uh, or can be a very effective analgesic. So if you put ice over an injured area, as we assume that um, humankind have done for, uh, for, for, for centuries and millennia before, um, it, will, it can decrease pain. 
Okay, so you're basically numbing the nerve fibres that are transmitting uh, messages of danger up towards the brain and therefore you know, potentially decreasing that painful stimulus. So when we have the uh, instance where the amount of pain is disrupting uh, other aspects of the healing mechanism, uh, then we can potentially warrant uh, the use of ice, even if it does uh, interfere with the initial inflammatory process and therefore the healing process, if it allows us to get that optimal loading, which we know is so important. Uh, if we have, say, a sprained ankle, uh, we're, we're having difficulty weight bearing, but we put some ice on and that, and that allows us to move it a little bit more, get that early weight bearing um, and, use that part of the, um, uh, the stimulus to uh, promote healing, then that may be a, a valid use. Same thing if, it's, um, if the pain is interfering with our sleep and applying some ice helps us decrease the pain to the point where we can sleep, then that is likely to be advantageous because we know that sleep uh, is, is really important, uh, obviously in general health, but also in the healing of injuries. So again, it's a little bit of give and take. We might be slightly robbing some of the, the healing capacity of the body by applying ice, but at the same time, uh, we might be uh, improving on other factors that, that help with uh, healing and resolution of an injury. There's also the case where um, the actual fluid accumulation in the joint uh, may be excessive and that may actually be contributing to the pain. So when you have a really swollen knee, let's say you have a, an ACL rupture or a really bad ankle sprain where the joint just blows up, um, the swelling itself uh, may be either restricting range of motion in a, a major way. Um, obviously, if you have an injury, there, there is going to be some de decrease in range of motion, not only because of the joint sensitivity, but also because of that inflammation. Uh, and to a certain degree, um, we need to just sort of you know, wait and allow that to settle down and improve our range of motion over um, you know, a, a realistic time course. But if the swelling is too great and it's actually pressing on structures and causing secondary pain or even pressing on uh, some nerve structures and causing pain that way, then again, that's maybe an ins uh, instance where we might apply some ice to decrease the swelling to more of a, uh, a tolerable level so it's no longer causing that secondary pressure on structures and secondary pain. We're talking about uh, like persistent and chronic pain, um, then ice may, be, uh, may have more of a place and may be seen as less detrimental. So um, if, you've, you're having, if you've got a tendinopathy, for, for example, and it's been going on for a long period of time, uh, it's, it's not a, an inflammatory problem per se, uh, and therefore you're not really impacting the healing process by applying ice. And if the ice makes it feel good, uh, it, it maybe settles down the area after you do some direct loading to help with the adaptation of that structure um, and it you know, allows you to a better recovery and allows you to do that in a shorter amount of time and therefore um, building up your capacity and your tolerance uh, to load uh, then it can be a, again a useful adjunct um, and then there's also sort of the placebo effect as well and especially with children um, you know I'll still uh, yeah, get kids to, to ice uh, anytime they've got an ouchie at home uh, because it feels good and because they think it feels good, they know it feels good and it, it will make them feel better. Um, we had a, a very cute uh, incident the other day where my five-year-old hurt himself and 
Uh, my one-year-old uh, actually ran to the freezer, got an ice pack and took it over to him. So they're already understanding uh, those concepts and, and perhaps that's part of why it is such a difficult thing to change in the minds of people because even since we're, we're very, very young, that's always been instilled with us. Um, so I have no problem with yes, using ice on children's injuries, even if there are acute injuries because I think that the healing capacity of kids in general is so great that you're probably not going to interrupt that to a great degree by using ice. Um, but I think at some stage, we need to uh, be a little bit more proactive with education and, and uh, get people to understand maybe when uh, icing is, is not, um, not perhaps the, the best uh, alternative. Do you suffer lower back pain while sitting in your office or during long haul travel? The lumber jacket may be just the solution you're looking for. This revolutionary product features a built-in inflatable and height-adjustable lower back support concealed within a fashionable and comfortable garment. Perfect for work and travel. Visit lumberjacket.com for more details or simply search lumberjacket on Amazon. I guess the other thing to talk about is like cold water immersion. Uh, and this is also something that uh, is, is you know, getting actually more and more popular. Um, and uh, this is where people you know, will, will have a, a, an ice bath or uh, you know, a cold shower as a form of recovery. Um, and you know, ice baths in particular are becoming more popular and more commonly um, accessible through uh, you know, private and public uh, fitness facilities, for example. So people you know, see professional athletes doing their ice baths after training or games and want to mimic that because I guess they believe they're going to get uh, similar sort of results or become elite athletes. Um, and so I think it's uh, also worth understanding the impacts of cold water immersion. Now, cold water immersion can be um, useful from a psychological uh, perspective. Those sort of Wim Hof fans out there will you know, talk about the um, combined uh, breathing and cold water um, immersion tactics as uh, basically a sensory um, stimulus. Um, so you're basically waking yourself up with a cold shower. And for people that enjoy that, definitely not my cup of tea, uh, but it, I know a lot of people that find that beneficial. And from a psychological perspective, if you're jumping in the cold shower for a few minutes, um, yeah, it's definitely not going to have any detriment uh, unless it's so cold that you're, you're causing ice burns, I guess. Um, with the cold water immersion um, as a recovery modality, this is where it gets a little more complicated um, because it, it does help uh, with recovery in, in a similar way to how we do, uh, how ice works with inflammation. It does decrease uh, inflammation. However, when we're training, we do want some of that uh, inflammatory process to occur for certain adaptations. So if we're trying to promote central adaptations, if we're looking at um, trying to decrease nervous system uh, fatigue uh, after a, a, a very neurally intensive training um, stimulus, then ice might be useful in that circumstance. <clears throat> However, if we're trying to grow muscle, if we're trying to make muscular adaptations in size, in muscular strength and, and endurance, um, then blunting the acute inflammatory response that happens after exercise may actually be detrimental. And, and we've got research to show that um, the application of cold water immersion after a hypertrophy uh, training stimulus can actually blunt those adaptations. Um, so I think it's important to, to understand that, but the other side of this is that since, since some of this research has become more common knowledge, there's people going the other direction saying you should never use cold water after training because it will completely um, you know, crush your gains. Um, 
that's not necessarily the case. I mean, you know, when we're talking about blunting hypertrophy responses, it's it's you know it's a small decrease in uh, the hypertrophic potential. Um, and again, if you're not looking to uh, gain size, say you're um, looking at uh, strength training as a way to increase force output, and let's say you're a um, someone who doesn't want to put on size, if you're like a, a weight division athlete, or let's say you're an endurance athlete where um, staying lean and keeping your body weight under control is actually advantageous for your sport, then it might be quite useful to actually blunt that hypertrophy, uh, hypertrophic response um, so that you're not actually growing muscle size, but you're still getting stronger. Um, and also if you find that uh, the uh, active uh, cold water immersion is just very relaxing. You really enjoy it. That's a great way to finish your, your uh, training session uh, and you're okay with a small decrement, a potentially small decrement in uh, the amount of gains that you make, um, then it's probably fine to use as well. So they're my sort of current thoughts and interpretation of the research in regards to ice uh, as it stands. Uh, and I'm sure in a, a couple of years, I'll probably do another update of these. Uh, as always, um, thank you very much for listening. If you do have any uh, topics that you would like us to speak about, um, please let us know. Thanks for watching. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Tokyo Living Podcast. If you enjoy the content, we'd love for you to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you'd like to enjoy your podcast. We look forward to seeing you again on the next episode. Have a healthy and active week.